0: Can I say, it's good to be back. Uh, I had the chance last week just to uh, welcome people who are here in the room, Uh, some of you I'm seeing that weren't here last week, and so good to see you. Some faces I don't know today. So, hey, welcome to Benigo Baptist. If you're online this morning, great to have you there as well. Hey, you know, we are so proud of all of our volunteers who serve right across the life of this church, week in and week out. And can I just say, uh, from my perspective, I so, I'm so, so grateful because I realize that this is a team here. This is not just built around one person or a personality or just a few people. Uh, we are reliant upon everybody uh, playing their part and serving and uh, passionately following Jesus with the gifts that God has given to them. So wherever you might be serving, thank you to you. We, uh, oh, wasn't that great to hear? We've got young people have come to the Lord over the weekend. That's just wonderful to hear as well, too. Can I just also say, I was down at Eagle Hawk campus this morning we were commissioning Katrina um, or Kate, as she is known, uh, she's about to head off uh, into Southeast Asia to serve uh, cross-culturally over there. Wonderful to be a part of that with her and uh, support her. If you missed that chance last week, uh, we had her in the morning and our evening service. She's just got a couple more weeks before she leaves. If you know her, you want to get around her and just cheer her on. Can I say thank you to a church? You know, it's great to see some of our own people uh, raised up through our church and then just following God's call on their life. And uh, for all of us, if we're following Jesus, for some of us, well, we're really, we're we're on mission with Jesus right here in our own community. But for others of us, we feel that sense of call that uh, it's outside of Bendigo and, and that's what Kate, this young adult in our context, I'm not telling you her real name because we're online. Uh, You know uh, We are cheering her on as well too. And so as we support, as we give to this church, that enables us then to partner with and to support Kate as she serves and our other cross-cultural, intercultural partners as they serve in different parts of the globe. Your giving supports what they do around the globe as well too. So thank you. Well, hey, good to be back. You know, have you ever had one of those moments when you are in a crowd of people Wherever that might, you might find it might be uh, uh, at a footy ground, it might be in an airport situation, maybe it's on a train. And you find yourself just kind of gazing at some of the different faces in the crowds. Anybody a a face gazer or find themselves looking or just wondering what might be going on in people's lives as you're just kind of watching the world go by? You know, it might be maybe you're at the footy. And you find your eyes, for some reason, have just gotten caught by this one middle-aged man who's sitting there quietly drinking his beer. You think he's all alone. Where's his mates? And in that moment, you just kind of wonder about his story for for, for just a a split second. Or maybe it's uh, the mother in an airport who's reprimanding one of her three or four children, you know, as she's trying to gather together all the bags and to get them onto a plane. And you think, gee, I wonder what her story is. She's all there on her own. You know, what, what, what's her story that's going on? Or it's uh, you're sitting on a train and you watch this beautiful middle-aged, no, let's say elderly couple in their late 80s getting onto a train, hand in hand, helping one another as they find their seat, just kind of sitting there holding hands together. And you think there's a story right there in their faces. You know, I I do. I think we all do it. You know, we all kind of find ourselves at different times looking into the faces of different people and wondering, you know what, there's a story right there. Well, today, I want us for just a few moments to uh, do a little crowd watching, to look into the faces of some other people that were in a crowd on that day in which Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem that we commonly know as Palm Sunday. You know, we're a few days outside of Palm Sunday, but in the lead up to Easter this year, we wanted to kind of focus in on a couple of key events in and, and the life of Christ that's found the Gospel of Mark uh, as we kind of move towards the Easter season. And as we open to Mark chapter 11, just the first 11 verses together, uh, we, uh, we find that there are a whole bunch of faces right there in that crowd, and we're going to discover together why this was a day of celebration. And yet also it was a day that caused Jesus to weep. You know, as you're turning there, uh, if you're not familiar with the Scriptures, uh, they're going to be on the screens as well too. But, you know, uh, the Gospel of Mark being the second book in the New Testament. And in fact, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, detail the, this entrance of Christ, albeit in just a bit of a different way, his entrance into the city of Jerusalem. And to understand this grand entrance as it was, we kind of have to have a a bit of an understanding. We have to know that this was one of the most significant days in Jewish culture. You know, once a year we know that there were pilgrims from not just uh, the surrounding towns, but from all over Israel, in fact, in other parts of, of countries in the Middle East that would make their way back to Jerusalem for what was known as the Passover Feast. And they would gather together in that city and they would begin to celebrate this really significant uh, event, the Passover together that had been celebrated by generation after generation after generation, all the way back to the days in which Israel had come out of Egyptian bondage. And here they were on this particular occasion. You know, some historians say that there were upwards of maybe two million people, pilgrims, that were gathering in this city on this day. They come from all places, from the four corners of the world, literally, so to speak, and they were there. And so, you know, imagine Bendigo at Easter time. Bendigo's only got 100,000 people here, but you know, the city swells by outside of COVID by, you know, another two or three hundred thousand people. People kind of gather for all the festivity. Well, right there in Jerusalem on this day, upwards of two million people, and you can imagine this carnival-like atmosphere that is going on. And it's into this that the Gospels and their market, what we look at today, Jesus comes up over the Mount of Olives, just coming from the town called Bethany, comes up over this Mount of Olives and there is Jerusalem. It's about a, a mile and a half journey down into Jerusalem and, and Mark captures uh, all that transpires in this event. Let, let's kind of work our way through some of these verses together before we begin to look at some of the faces in the crowd. You know, Mark opens by saying, as they approached Jerusalem. You know, If you didn't have any other gospel accounts, you, you could be... You you can think, well, maybe this was Christ's first entrance into the city. But we know, as we read them, uh, that he'd been there on many occasions. And as they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. He gave them a mission. He sent sent them out to do it. He said, said, I want you to go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden untie it and bring it here if anyone asks you why are you doing this you are to say to them the lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly now let's just pause for a moment. you know why would jesus want a donkey and you know why would he ask for a young male donkey that had not yet been ridden well there are a couple of things i think that are really important in this story that i just want to note uh, as we kind of go along you see First of all, first and foremost, Christ's entrance into the city of Jerusalem on this occasion, we know as we read the Scriptures, was nothing more than a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Some 500 years before this, the prophet Zechariah had written these words and he had said, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your King is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colts. See, Jesus, in essence, what he is doing in this moment, he he is the fulfillment of Scripture. Literally hundreds of Old Testament prophecies have been made about this coming Messiah, and Jesus in this moment is just fulfilling one of these prophecies. Well, you might think, well, well, why on a donkey? Well, secondly, animals that had never been ridden uh, were often have been set apart for special or sacramental purposes. We don't have time to look at it today, but if you want to jot a little note and just remember 1 Samuel chapter 17, you'll go back to that and look at that. But on this occasion, we're told that two milk cows that had never been yoked together uh, and made to work were conscripted for the special purpose of pulling the Ark of the Covenant back towards the city of Jerusalem. And so on this occasion, by asking his disciples to find an animal, uh, the uh, uh, the, colt, being a a, a young horse uh, of a donkey, the colt of a donkey, by asking them to find this animal that had not yet been ridden, what Christ is doing in this moment is that he is incredibly, he's being incredibly intentional. Uh, He is kind of singling out this moment uh, as an element of sacrament or sacredness to what would be his entrance into the city of Jerusalem. But there's one other thing. And I think we overlook this because we have a very lowly estimate of a donkey. In fact, uh, no one likes to be called a donkey because it's not a very affirming word. Uh, In our culture, we kind of take it in quite a derogatory way. But in the Middle East, while we might view them as a lowly animal, donkeys were often held up as a noble creature. That puts a whole different spin on it doesn't it when someone calls you a donkey you know well thank you very much i'm a noble creature that's uh well maybe not so much in our culture but in that day that was how donkeys were perceived in fact in the old testament scriptures we've got different accounts of people riding donkeys there were the judges of israel and then there were members of the royal family in those days a donkey was often used to denote a king coming in or coming to a group of people in peace whereas a king riding on a horse was viewed as a declaration of war and so here is christ he's coming he asks for a donkey he wants to come into jerusalem on a colt as opposed to a mighty war a war horse he's making a declaration he's telling this group of people that he's not coming as the all-conquering general but rather as their true king their messiah their saviour, who was coming to them in peace, well, this is what happens in the story. Mark says, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut to the fields. and the fields, and those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David!" Hosanna in the highest. Now we hear those words and we're removed from culture. And so if we've heard them before, we, they're familiar to us. But if we haven't heard them before, we think, well, they're kind of nice words. Well, where did they come from? Well, quite literally in this moment, this crowd, they are just, they are pumped with excitement. You know, if you were to kind of give it a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being low and 10 being off the charts, this crowd was at a 50. That's how excited they were about this moment. And what are they doing? They are quoting the arrival of Jesus into this city by by, by quoting directly from the Psalms, from the halal. In fact, every Passover in the days leading up to the Passover meal, they would start with Psalm 113. And they would sing elements of this psalm. And on this day, Psalm 118 is what they burst forth in song over and, and they begin to say in verses 25 and 26, Oh Lord, save us. That's what that word Hosanna means. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord from the house of the Lord. We bless you. See, on that occasion, as this group of people were declaring, they were shouting with excitement, Hosanna. They were quite literally saying, Jesus, Come, save us. You know, for hundreds of years, uh, the, the Israelites had lived in, in, in bondage and captivity. You know, if you were with us, last year uh, in that series that we did through Daniel, you'll remember that, uh, first of all, it started with the Assyrians. Uh, you remember uh, the people of God, the, the Israelites, being carried off into a Syrian captivity? And then it uh, morphed into a, a Babylonian captivity and a Persian captivity? And then they lived with uh, the occupying force of the Greeks. And and then once uh, Rome had come, they they overcame the Greeks. And for some now a few hundred years, they'd lived under the rule, the might, the oppression of the, the Roman Empire. And the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they just yearned for that day when they would be set free from their oppressors. Suddenly... They see Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, but not on a war horse. And for some of them, they're starting to think, you know, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And so they just go bananas with excitement. You know, they're throwing down their clothes. Can you imagine taking off your, you know, your, your $300 or $400 jumper that you've just recently purchased and throwing it on the ground for the donkeys to walk on, the donkey to walk on? We might think twice about that. But this is literally what this crowd's doing. They're throwing their cloaks on the ground. They're going out into the fields. They're cutting down palm branches, throwing them on the ground. Some of them are waving them as well. Mark tells us that Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem with the crowd just filled with excitement. And in verse 11, it says, He went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything but since it was already late he went back out to Bethany he wandered back out up over the Mount of Olives into the town of Bethany where his good friend Lazarus now lived the one that he had raised from the dead with his two sisters Martha and Mary and that's where he spent the first night of this Passover week now what we really have in this story is a courageous act of Jesus Not only is it a fulfillment of prophecy, but he, he knew that the authorities were after him. But he comes down into the city. He embraces all the praise of these people. He looks around for just a few moments. And then he moves back out of Jerusalem. And he spends the first night in Bethany. Yeah, it's a great story. And we read that story and think, oh, that's great. Oh, such a fulfillment of all these things. Prophecy, you know, uh, what a moment that must have been. But, you know, uh, if we don't dig down a little deeper in the story, we kind of miss some of the unfolding drama that we see in some of the faces that were right there in that crowd. And so I want us to just pause for a moment. With this crowd crying, Hosanna, I want us to think about that. You know, just imagine yourself being in that crowd where they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And let's just think for a moment about some of those faces, some of the scenes to get a better feel for what was really happening on this occasion. See, first of all, I want us to look at some of the faces of the expectant crowds. You see, before riding into Jerusalem, we know that Jesus had just spent some time with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They were very dear friends of Jesus. We're not quite sure how long maybe he'd been in that region, but he certainly had come from there. And we are told in other gospel accounts that a crowd had begun to gather there, not so much to see Jesus, but to see the one from which he had raised from the dead. In John chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, and they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. You see, this crowd, or, or many of the people that were in this crowd, you know, they were kind of there to see Jesus and they were excited about Jesus, but initially they had been there because they wanted to see this incredible feat, this, this, this man who had been raised from the dead. They were there to see the show first and foremost, and then it was to see the master. They were there to experience the wonder and not so much to genuinely worship the king. You know, for many... For a long period of time when Jesus was with the crowds and he performed miracles, he knew they were looking for a sign. And Jesus had often performed many different miracles and then he pulled back from that event because it, his time had not yet come. But on this occasion as he made his way into the city, see these people suddenly saw Jesus coming on a donkey making his claim of kingship. And their joy and their emotion just erupts in this moment. They're ecstatic, they're excited. But the reality was, to many of them, it was just a show. And yet maybe it was that he was their deliverer. But many of these same people in this moment who were crying out Hosanna in just a few days' time would be saying, crucify him. We don't want him. Get rid of him. Why? Why? because these people they were expecting that Jesus was going to establish a new world order with the Jewish nation at the, just at the top of the heap and they'd missed the fact that the kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate would be an eternal one not an earthly one you know that day I, there were some other followers in this crowd much smaller I think in number than this huge pumping throng of expectant people who were there not for a show but to adore and to worship their king. These were the true followers of Jesus. And we meet two of them just a few days prior to his triumphal entry, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, we don't have time to go back and read all of this account today, but you know, uh, in John chapter 12, we've got the sense of the crowd gathering there because of, they want to see this miracle. But in John chapter 11, we're introduced to the two sisters of Lazarus, Mary Mary and martha and this beautiful dialogue they have with jesus before lazarus is raised from the dead see martha speaking about the death of her brother said to jesus these words she said if you had been here my brother would not have died but i know that even now god will give you whatever you ask isn't that a beautiful response of faith god doesn't always give us everything that we want but it's that heartfelt faith response that says you know what I know that you can do anything you are all powerful martha says to jesus you are god you are you are able to do anything in this world and jesus said to her your brother will rise again and martha answers in verse 24 i i know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day and jesus said to her the words that are very famous he said i am the resurrection and the life and the one who believes in me will live even though they die and He says to Martha, he says, do you believe this? Here's the words of Martha. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into this world. Now, I want you to see something really important in that. You see, Martha is having this dialogue, this, this conversation with Jesus before her brother's even raised from the dead. And see, Martha doesn't worship Jesus for what he can do in this moment, but she worships him for who he truly is. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come to the world. And so on that day, when this crowd is pumping with excitement, and they're making their way, some of them in front of Jesus and others behind, and people are just, you know, crowding around. A whole bunch of expecting people, but... I've got to think that inside of that crowd, there was, a, there was some true followers of Jesus. That when they called out, Hosanna, Lord, oh Lord, please save us. You see, really welling up from within them was really a, a real statement of, of adoration and worship. They were there to worship the true king. Not for what he was going to do, but for who he truly is. There were some other faces in that crowd that day but they weren't interested in celebrating or shouting Hosanna. So this is the faces of some religious leaders, the Pharisees. And it must have fueled them with such intense anger uh, to see all this support and this praise coming for this, this person that they despised at this point, for the one who threatened their power and position. And the Gospel of Luke tells us that somewhere along this parade route, This is in Luke chapter 19. These men could contain their boiling anger no longer. They just couldn't take the shouts of the crowd calling Jesus the King and the Son of David. And when they couldn't take it any longer, we are told that they began to shout at Jesus saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell them to stop shouting. Tell them to stop praising you. Make them stop worshipping you. You know, it's interesting in all of the different Gospels, you know, as you follow the life of Jesus, you know, he often did everything he possibly could publicly to discourage people from praising him. But here in this moment, he just goes out of his way to embrace this praise. He says to the religious leaders, he says in verse 40 of Luke chapter 19, he says, I tell you, if they keep silence, the stones these stones that you see beside the road, they will cry out in worship and adoration of me. But on this day, the Pharisees were so lost in their stubborn pride that they refused to acknowledge the divinity of Jesus. You know, as we think about these faces in the crowds, there was one other face that I think is just worth briefly mentioning. It's the face of Jesus. You see, as he approached the city of Jerusalem, the Gospel of Luke says that he saw the city and he wept over it. Quite a contrast, isn't it? The people celebrating, just filled with excitement, and as Jesus sees the city, he just bursts into tears. You've got to ask yourself, well, why was that? You see, on that day, Again, fully steeped with Hebrew culture. You see, on that day, on the beginning of Passover week, as Jesus came into the city, the city is filled with literally hundreds of thousands of people who are going about looking to buy a lamb. You see, it was lamb choosing day was the day in which people would go looking for a lamb, a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish that, that they would take home and they would care for and then just a few days' time they would take it to the temple and they would offer it up as a sacrifice for the sins of their family as they celebrated this Passover meal together. Now here is the irony. See, nothing was left to chance. Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on what was known as Lamb Choosing Day offering himself up as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And most of his people missed it. And we're told that he wept over the city. He wept over the religious leaders who were so much about his father's business, but that they, in one sense, they had missed his father. They're the easy ones to kind of see in this, but... It's those, it's the faces of those that are within the expectant crowd that's, you know, often we, it's much harder to see, it's much easier to play a game. But Jesus still knew their hearts. Can you see the face of Jesus? Can you see the tears just flowing freely down his cheeks? His face twisted in sorrow. The Lamb of God had come. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world was right there in their midst. And yet they still, most of them in that crowd, chose to reject the gift that he'd come to give. You know, as we think about that story, that puts perspective into it a little bit more, doesn't it? The crowds that are shouting Hosanna, the excitement of that day, the the city just filled and pumping with two million people people purchasing lambs for the passover event you know a real sense of excitement but as i think as we think about that story we well, see we've got to make some application see as you and i as we think about that story and we think of some of the many of the faces in the crowd i, I wonder what jesus might see as he looks into our faces today does he see in you and in me uh, A face like that of the expectant crowds shouting praises to him on that particular day you know as long as Jesus fulfills all of our plans and needs then you know what we're gonna praise him as long as he agrees to act like a puppet on a string or a genie in a lamp you know know what making no demands of our lives you know what we'll do whatever he asks we'll praise him you know well maybe as long as he puts on a good show kind of steps in in our time of needs Is that when we're going to shout shout his praises? Or when the road gets rough and rocky and we've got better things to do. Maybe we're more like that crowd. We may not say crucify him, but our language might be, you know what, I don't want you to run my life. I think your demands are too tough. And I'm going to leave for a while. And I'm not going to come back until uh, maybe we're kind of on the same page and you're kind of, doing some of the things that I want you to do for me. You know, I think today that's a a great picture of some of our consumer Christianity. And maybe that's the face that Jesus might see in some of us today. Or when he looks at us, does he see the face of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, hostile and defiant, refusing to accept the truth about Jesus or to submit to his words? I get it. God's Word's confronting at times. You know, uh, as we read God's Word, you know, I'm often asking those that maybe I'm discipling, you know, what's God asking of you as you read His words? Because it's always about obedience-based. That's what discipleship's all about. God says it, and so what's He now asking you to do with that? For some of us, you know what, sometimes we don't want to do that. We don't want to give up our own sense of power or independence. That was the religious leaders. Is that what he might see in our face today? Or when Jesus looks at us, does he see the face of a true follower? Someone whose love and devotion towards him is not based upon what he will do, but who he is. It's the face of someone who has surrendered their life to the one that really is worthy of their devotion. Is that what he sees in our face? See, how we respond to that question. You know What does he see in our face today? How we respond to that question really does matter as we come into another Easter season. I mean, for those pilgrims that were there on that occasion, they had been celebrating the Passover year after year after year. It was just another Passover celebration. You know, for us, we come to another Easter, just a week or so out, and it's just another Easter. What would Jesus see as he looks into our face as we kind of move towards another Easter? See, he's not looking for a crowd. He can pull a crowd. He's not looking for a crowd. What he is looking for are genuine followers who will worship him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he's looking for in us so really my question for us is how are we going to worship him this Easter? For some of us here in this room or maybe you're watching online today, we've never given Jesus our hearts. And really that's what ought to be first and foremost as we come into this Easter season. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want us just to be following him for what we might get from him. He wants us to be worshipping him, devoted to him, following him because of who he is. Maybe for others of us, uh, you know what, we kind of sit somewhere in that crowd. Maybe we can't quite put our finger on it. But we want to come to this Easter season in a fresh new way. Worshipping and adoring King Jesus. Would you join me as I pray? Father, I want to pray for all of us that are here in this room right now, maybe for those that are watching online as well. Father, you call, you, you ask for a response from us as we open up your words. And we read this story of the, the triumphal entry of your son Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, and we are in awe of, of all the things that are kind of going on in this moment. We're kind of captivated by this story, but as we think about it, as we think about the people in this story, we realize that we can be just like one of those faces in the crowd as well. Father, wherever we might be today, God, I am so grateful for your grace and your mercy that you, you ask us to walk with you on a journey. You don't ask us to have it all worked out. You just, ask us, you just ask us to follow. And so, Father, into the stories of people that are here in this room or to those that are online, to the faces of these people whom, Father, you know so incredibly well. Father, would you wrap us in your arms? Would you keep calling ourselves to you? Would you keep uh, nurturing us and helping us in this journey of faith that you call us to as we follow your son, Jesus? We want to just declare afresh today here in this room that we love, we love Jesus. And we honour and we worship him today for who he is and not what he can do. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.